This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg So second to last essay, the fifth part of the Tanya And this essay Al-Tarebi deals with prayer, how those in the community who were trying to accommodate those who were in a rush and um, couldn't stay at the rush out of prayer and go to work. And as to accommodate them, the entire community um, compressed their davening to make it as short as possible to enable everyone to join in the minion. You know, everyone wants to be part of the minion. They want to daven with the minion. They come to shul, and uh, they would like to answer the baruchu and the kedusha and to answer amen and to fully participate. So in order to accommodate those individuals who are in a rush, they, the whole congregation rushes through the davening. And in some shuls it feels that way. It's like uh, you're going on the express train. <laughs> some shuls f- uh, finish before they start. And anyone who really wants to daven, it's very hard to keep up. If you really want to daven and say word for word and truly experience the davening, um, it becomes very difficult for them. So what happened was, you have the majority rushing through the davening, and a few individuals who just can't keep up are left behind. And Alter Rebbe writes in this letter that it should be just the opposite the congregation, the majority should daven normally. Nice and slow. You know, when you want to cook something, slow cooking takes time. Even in this age of instant, nothing that's real or that's worthwhile is instant. Even instant coffee is not instant takes time. Some things you can't rush. If you, tr- if you don't chew your food, you just swallow your food, you just swallow it down, it's not only the, isn't it beneficial, it's actually counterproductive. It'll just give you a stomachache. The food will do nothing for you. It could be the best food in the world, but if you're swallowing it down, and some people eat like that, they just wolf it down, you know, this is not the uh, Coney Island contest of how many hot dogs you can eat in five minutes. <laughs> you know, what was, this, what was the record? 135. You know, davening is not... 
it's not who can daven the quickest and the swiftest and who can mouth the words quickest. There's no substitute. Even though we're, we're in the dread age and everything is rushed and no one has a second. But you can't rush these things. You have to chew, digest it. And only then could you benefit from it. Does it give you life? Does it give you health and sustenance? Same thing as spiritually. The whole point of davening is to slow down. Stop. Walk away. Stop from the, the mad rush of life. You know, we rush through life. And we have no time to live. We're so busy making a living, we forget to live. Davening is when you live. Stop the rush. Get off the train. Get off the fast track for a minute. That little time, it's an oasis, whether it's an hour or so, whatever it is. That's why davening takes some, so much time. If davening is just about asking for your needs, the whole davening should be five minutes maximum. Hello, God. Hello, Hashem. Thank you for everything. Please, this is what I need. Thank you. I thank you in advance for taking care of everything. See you again later or tomorrow. And that's it. Why do you have to spend an hour every morning davening? The davening is a time to walk away from the mad rush, to stop and to focus and to be center yourself and to connect. It's a time to experience. Experience something real. Experience your neshama. Experience your relationship with Hashem. Make that conscious connection. And unless you're centered and focused, your whole day is unfocused. And there's no rush. It's impossible. You can't. You know, life is a rush. It's relentless. Our ego is relentless from the moment we're born to the last moment. It never ends. It never stops. I, 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 I. I wake up. I. It doesn't stop. Davening is one moment, one window, a brief moment that we can step back, step away from your ego, step away from your eye. Instead of being eye-centered, become God-centered. Discover that God-consciousness within us, that godliness. Make that connection. And that can't be rushed. There's no ifs, maybes, or buts. There's no way around it. Some things in life, you just have to, have to be, you know, like you have to pickle something. You can't rush it. <laughs> you have to sit. You have to sit in it. And you have to, that's why the davening, you repeat it over and over again. God is great and God is wonderful. How many times can you say the same thing? Over and over and over again. And this way, that way, the other way. But some things can't be rushed. You just have to allow it to settle in and you have to pickle it and you have to dwell in it and you have to, focus and you have to remove get out of the way create an open space create an emptiness create a space to allow Hashem in and it's a process so the Altarebi says what's the point You're gonna, the whole point of davening is to stop the rush to walk away from the rush the Altarebi says I'm, I'm, I'm grieved I, my insides my whole insides are turning over my kishkes are turning over 
when I hear that this is what goes on in the shuls, people are rushing through davening to accommodate those few individuals that have to rush. Dr. Rebbe says, granted, I understand why you're rushing, because you want to help them, you want to accommodate them, you want everyone to be able to answer the Kedushan, to answer Amen. Dr. Rebbe says, it's wrong, it's a wrong approach. Don't sacrifice the whole davening for these few individuals. You're not doing yourselves any favor, you're not doing them any favor. Davening is a time to stop the rush. Davening should be nice and deliberate and slow and really daven. It's an experience. Those few individuals that must rush have nothing against them. And it's okay. Dr. Rebbe says, let them, miss the, let them come and daven, even if they're going to miss the barhu, they're going to miss the Kiddusha, they're going to miss the Amins. It's okay. No problem. They, they, they haven't lost anything. As long as the core is there, the community is davening, there's a real davening going on. They have no choice. They have to rush out. It's fine. No one holds it against them. But don't hijack and don't sabotage the whole davening in a mistaken idea that I have to accommodate everyone and therefore I think I'm doing something good. I'm helping them. You're not helping them. It defeats the purpose. It's completely counterproductive. Because it's not a davening. If there's a davening going on, then that davening will help those who must leave early. It's fine. Let them leave early. It's fine. They'll have all the benefits of that davening because a real davening happened. And Dr. Rebbe says, not only will it help them spiritually, but even physically. We wonder why our prayers are not answered. Because like we learned earlier in the essays, our prayers went nowhere. <laughs> if it's not a real davening, it doesn't, the prayers are flat. It's, it doesn't soar. It doesn't, the mail is never delivered. Because it was, it was, there was no, there wasn't a spiritual experience. It wasn't a genuine experience. So, so not only are you hurting yourself, that you're depriving yourself of a real spiritual, genuine experience, even the, the simple meaning of prayer, that you want your needs answered and you want Hashem to answer your prayers, is completely counterproductive. This is what the Rebbe is trying to set us all straight, to understand what is davening and, and how the shul, what kind of davening you walk into a shul, you should know that there's a real davening going on. And this will benefit everyone, including those few individuals that have to rush out. With Razachon Essay 8, word had evidently reached the Alter Rebbe that the Hasidim of a certain synagogue did not permit a worshiper who prayed like because some individuals there were pressed for time. In this letter of admonition, the Alter Rebbe writes that it is better for this person to even forgo participation in the congregational responses of Baruchu and Kibusha, if it is absolutely impossible for him to remain longer, than to keep his fellow congregants from praying at length. For deliberate prayer involves life itself, and indeed prolonged one's life by cutting short the prayers of others, this busy individual is hampered with their very lives. The whole essence of davening for a few individuals is misguided. It's, 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 it should be just the opposite. If anyone has to be sacrificed, it's those individuals that have to be rushed should sacrifice their, um, their davening or their answering, answering baruchu and allow the minion, especially the leader of the minion, who sets the pace and sets the tone. You know, it's encouraging when the whole minion is davening nice and slow and deliberate and davening together and it's a real davening and, and Alter Rebbe explains it's not even such a great sacrifice because the individual who misses out 
will benefit from it and won't really lose anything. As our sages of blessed memory teach, three things prolong the days of men, and one of these is prolonged worship. Even when extremely pressed for time, who finds it utterly impossible to wait until the congregational response called Kedusha in the repetition of the Shimon Esre by this person who leads the prayers slowly, for better is it for him to forego hearing Kedusha and Barhu than to tamper with the lives of those who desire life and hence desire no to pray at length. The Torah does, after all, exonerate the compelled. It's interesting, you know, Jews have an instinct. I can't tell you how many people who daven an hour minion in the morning here at the Chabad house, you know, part of the kolil, and what they love most about it is that it's, it's a nice paced davening. It's word for word. You can daven like a mensch. So, you know, because unfortunately, it's not every synagogue. Many synagogues, they rush through the davening so quickly. And even some of them are very simple, but instinctively, they just understand, I'm here to daven. I'm talking to Hashem. It's like, it's like what am I doing here? Why am I bothering it's not just to rush through and it's an obligation and a duty and I can read Hebrew so quickly. It's not a speed reading competition. Who can read quicker? It's a time just to daven and, and they just appreciate that opportunity when the whole minion is davening nice and slow. So fine, if you have to leave early, fine, you leave early. Don't sacrifice the minion to accommodate this person who has to rush. The minion should daven normally and if this individual can't make it, he can't make it and the Torah won't hold it against him. It's out of his hands. His hands are tied. So, so you won't be punished. You didn't do anything wrong. And now, the Alter Rebbe is going to add something else. Moreover. Moreover, the reader discharges obligations for him of hearing Kedusha and Baruch even though he did not hear them recited, just though he had heard in this hearing from the reader, even though that reciting is counted precisely like responding. But this is an unbelievable innovation. You know, usually when the Torah says that if you try to do something and it was out of your hands and you couldn't do it, your putter means you're exempt. No one's going to punish you. No one's going to hold it against you. But at the same time, we have a rule, the Talmud says, that it's not as if you've done it. The fact is I haven't done it. But you're not punished, not held against you. You're not at fault. So no one's going to hold you responsible. But you can't say you've done it. It wasn't your fault, but you still can't substituted for actual doing. Here the Alter Rebbe is saying that because it's not your fault, not only are, aren't you, is, are you exempt, it's not going to be held against you, but you haven't lost anything. It's as if you've heard. It's as if you've heard Baruch, as if you've heard Kedusha, as if you've answered all the Amens, as if you were there. How does that, how does that work? Continue. Unlike other instances of duress where the Torah exonerates the individual concern, does not consider him to have, to have performed the omitted act. In this instance, it's considered to have done so for the reader discharges obligation for him. This is how the rabbis set up prayer in the first place. This is how they set it up. So you haven't lost anything. You have to rush. You have to rush to a meeting. Go. Go gesund to hate. We'll pray for you. Don't worry. And it's good. How legally, how logically you're covered. So why, why deprive the community? So it's, it's just ignorance. It's a lot of ignorance. You're afraid you're going to miss a kedusha. So it's coming from a good place, but it's, it's A, it's ignorance. You don't have to. And 
why, so why deprive the community of, of, a, of a normal prayer? So even if it's a very prominent person, the president of the community has to rush. So because the president of the community and the Gabe has to rush, and the, the biggest donor has to rush, so therefore the whole community will be deprived of, of a prayer, of a proper prayer. It's not necessary. It's completely, so Alter Rebbe is assuming, he says, simply, simply misunderstanding. That's what he's trying, he's, he's admonishing and rebuking, but also helping them understand that this is for your own good. It's for the good of those individuals. They should be the ones insisting, no, don't, don't cut short your prayer for me. I insist that you daven normally, and it should be a long prayer, and a nice paced prayer, and, and I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm not, not losing out on anything. You know, people think I'm losing out, so I'm going to use my influence and my muscle to make sure that the prayer is not a minute long, a 15-minute prayer, the quickest prayer in town. On the contrary, they should insist, these few individuals should insist that the community should pray properly and not sacrifice what prayers. And now, the Alter Rebbe is going to go into what is prayer? How important prayer is? How essential prayer is to our life? And this is a fascinating discussion. We have searched out and verified, even regarding the early generations of uh, the sages of the, uh, the Mishnah and the Mara, whose Torah study, not prayer, was constant and their primary service. Even with them, a long prayer was related to life and longevity. It is even more empathetically true at this time in the period just preceding the advent of Mashiach when our Torah study is not constant because of the difficulty of our times. Our, the primary service in the period just preceding the coming of Mashiach is a prayer as Rabbi Haim Vital of Blessed Memory writes in Etz Haim and Pre Etz Haim. Sure, then, it is fitting and proper to devote ourselves utterly to it. So if in the times of the Talmud, when they spent most of their time and their main focus was Torah study, these are the brilliant Talmudic rabbis, and their whole generation was engaged in developing the oral Torah for a thousand years, developing the oral Torah, and that's what engaged most of them. And yet, he quoted earlier from the Talmud, that prayer lengthens a person's life. And the Mishnah says the early Hasidim used to daven for nine hours every day. Nine hours. The Mishnah, the Hasidim of the times in the Mishnah. Nine hours. Every prayer took three hours. One hour of preparation, one hour of prayer, and one hour to allow it to settle and to sink in. They wouldn't just rush. Okay, Elena, they're out the door. They wasn't even that much to say. Right. But it, was, it wasn't about, obviously, you don't, even if you have a lot to say, it doesn't take you three hours. It's the idea that they prayed. They focused on the prayer and they spent time praying. And, because prayer was a time of communion, of connection with Hashem. It was like a mini prophecy. It was a, it was a time, it was a deeply spiritual experience, a moving deeply spiritual. So that's what he said, even if the times of the Talmud, when the main focus, as you're right, the prayer was much shorter than, much shorter. It was only a fraction of what we have I mean, today. No, the, 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 the Shemeshri was, no, no, was set up by the rabbis of the Great Assembly. That was 2,300 years ago, right at the beginning of the Second Temple. 
rabbis of the Great Assembly set up the Shemoneser. But the whole thing that we have, Pesukit the Zimra and all of that, that wasn't, they didn't have it then. They had the Shema. And then, okay, the Mishnah talks about the blessings before the Shema, the blessings after the Shema. But the whole Pesukit the Zimra, that was later. That wasn't, that wasn't even in the times of the Mishnah. So it was a very short. And yet, the Talmud says that one of the three things that lengthens a person's life is someone who takes time prayer. Rabbi Yechon says, Alavai, I davened all day. And the Hasidim, the early Hasidim, used to take time, three hours each prayer, nine hours a day praying. Even though they were, they were, they were brilliant and they, they were t- scholars par excellence. Today, A, we don't have the time. Most importantly, we don't have the zitzflesh and we don't have the capacity. We're, we don't have the brains that they had and we don't have the abilities that they had. And we're like a fraction of what they were. You know, they were the giants and we are the midgets. The midgets of the, and we are between, amongst the midgets, we are the midgets of the midgets, spiritually speaking. You know, no brain, to, no mind to, 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 to speak of or heart. I mean, they were, they were giants. Minds and they had zitzflesh and they learned and they so and yet prayer was so important today in our day and age it's critical it's essential it's life or death for us not a luxury not icing on the cake it's a nice addition it would be a nice thing to have today our lives literally depend on it our spiritual well being. Our wholesomeness depends on it. And Arizal writes clearly, 500 years ago, Arizal writes that this is the main focus of our day and age. This he wrote 500 years ago, how much more so today? Prayer. This is the main focus today is prayer. More so than, than Torah. This is our lifeline. This is what, what connects us. And then is going to say that he says that this is actually a biblical obligation. That's what we're going to learn. Which is a very profound statement. You know we have a classical argument between Nachmanides and Maimonides. Whether there's a biblical obligation to pray every day. Maimonides holds or it's one of the uh, 600 and 13 mitzvot is a mitzvah to serve Hashem with all your heart and that's a mitzvah to pray every day we have an obligation a biblical obligation to pray every day however there's no set prayer this was done from Mount Sinai for the next thousand years Jews prayed you made up your own prayer every day hello Hashem you can pray in any language you want you have to pray thank you this is what I need and you praise Hashem and thank Hashem and that's the prayer you can pray any time of the day there's no time set time there's no set prayer and it was, it was a few moments that was your prayer Nachmanides disagrees he says there's no such mitzvah it's not one of the 600 mitzvahs there is a mitzvah a separate mitzvah in times of danger they used to blow the trumpets and you had to pray to Hashem. In 
times of danger, you have to pray. So if there's an urgent need, a, a time of danger, then of course it's a biblical commandment to, 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 to pray to Hashem. But on a daily basis, there is no commandment to pray. And, there's, and therefore there's also implications. If there's an obligation to pray every day, then women are also obligated to pray. So therefore, the rabbis instituted, according to Maimonides, the rabbis didn't institute prayer. The rabbis instituted the structure of prayer. That you have to pray three times a day, and there's a certain structure, and, they, and that's, that's, what, that's what they're obligated. But since the essence of prayer is biblically mandated, so therefore you will be obligated to pray. Men and women are equally biblically obligated to pray. But if the whole obligation is, according to Nachmanides, the whole obligation to pray is rabbinic, and they created a, a very specific time structure, then it's a time-bound mitzvah, and women are exempt. So the Alter Rebbe writes elsewhere, very sharply, he says, people treat prayer lightly, because they misunderstood Nachmanides' opinion. Nachmanides writes, it's only rabbinics. In other words, it's not so important. Maimonides puts emphasis on prayer. It's biblical. It's a biblical mitzvah, so it's, it's important. It's, it's up there. Nachmanides, they, they took it and totally misunderstood Nachmanides, and they took it, well, he's like minimizing the importance of prayer. Relax, it's not biblical. It's, a, it's a, something that the rabbis instituted. So it's not as weighty. It's not as important. Dr. Rebbe says, whoever understands the prayer this way never saw light in his life completely clueless completely misunderstood what Nachmanides is telling us don't forget Nachmanides was the Kabbalist if anything it's the Kabbalist who placed more emphasis on prayer than the philosophers Maimonides was a philosopher it was the Kabbalist who, who appreciate what prayer is as he just quoted the Arizal says that prayer especially today is the most important thing how can, why would Nachmanides like minimize prayer? He says, no, they completely misunderstood Nachmanides. On the contrary, according to Nachmanides, prayer is even greater, is even more essential than according to Maimonides. How is that? He says, because we know that a person has 248 limbs. Why does a person have 248 limbs? Why did God create us with 248 limbs? Because he, gave, because he wants us to fulfill 248 positive commandments. There's one mitzvah for every limb. 240. Now, when the, uh, when the Mishnah counts the limbs of a person, the backbone, the spine, is not considered one of the limbs. How important and how essential is your spine? <laughs> a person can have 248 limbs, but if you're spineless, God forbid anything happens to your spine, you just crumple, you collapse. You're nothing. The spine is essential. The spine holds up the whole person. Not only that, the whole chiropractor, by the way, is based, the original chiropractor wasn't just to adjust your back, back pain. They cured illnesses, all illnesses, by adjusting, making these adjustments in the spine. Because the nerve system that goes through the spine and is connected to the whole body and goes directly to the brain so if something is off in any part of the body, 
it shows up in the spine. And by adjusting the spine, there's something interfering with the nerve systems and that's uh, sending the wrong signal to the brain and therefore from the brain to the rest of the body by straightening out, by giving a chiropractic adjustment and straightening out the spine, suddenly the communication and the nerve system is clear and it goes to the brain and from the brain it clears up all illnesses throughout the whole body. And there's miraculous results, actually. Those who truly practice the original chiropractic. So, according to Nachmanides, prayer is a chiropractic adjustment. Prayer is not a mitzvah, not because it's not essential, not because it's not important. On the contrary, prayer is so essential. Prayer is so important. It's so central that you can't call it a mitzvah. A mitzvah means something specific. A specific obligation. Prayer is not a specific obligation. Prayer is everything. Prayer is what upholds the whole of Yiddishkeit. Because if you don't have, if you're not centered, and you're not focused, and you don't have that godly consciousness, and you're not connected, your whole Judaism is dead, dry, by rote, mechanical, lifeless, soulless. It's the prayer that gives us that, that adjustment that straightens out our spine and gives us that, that's the backbone, that's the, that holds up the whole organism. So prayer is so essential that it can't be a specific mitzvah. Just like why, according to the Chinuch, the Chinuch says something astonishing. The Chinuch says that according to Maimonides, the Minchas Chinuch says, according to Maimonides, tshuva is not, is not a mitzvah. Because Maimonides' words very interestingly, he says the mitzvah is that you should confess. So when you do teshuvah, you should confess. Why doesn't he write the mitzvah is to do teshuvah? So most people disagree with him in Chinuch. Clearly the Alter Rebbe disagrees, like we learned in the beginning of the laws of teshuvah, that he holds it is a mitzvah to do teshuvah. And there's proof even Maimonides himself from elsewhere that he holds clearly there is a mitzvah. But it is a very strange when he sets out the mitzvah tshuva, he says that this is the mitzvah is when you do tshuva, you should confess. So he wants to say something novel that there's no mitzvah to do tshuva. The mitzvah is when you do tshuva, you should confess. When you repent, you should confess. And one of one of the explanations is that because tshuva is a general mitzvah, tshuva is able to fix all of the other mitzvahs. All of the 630 mitzvot, if you messed up, if you had a sin of commission, a sin of omission, tshuva has the ability to restore your health. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like a medicine. Food is, is what a healthy person eats and it sustains you and nourishes you and gives you strength. But if you fall sick, if you're sick, if you're ill, you need a, a dose of medicine. So it, 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 it's not just a specific it can't be a specific mitzvah. It's a general mitzvah. This is what restores all 613 mitzvahs. That's what Dalton Rebbe says. Those who misunderstood Nachmanides, as if Nachmanides is downplaying the importance of prayer, and it's only secondary, it's only rabbinic, it's not biblical, they completely misunderstood. On the contrary, Nachmanides is arguing with Maimonides that the prayer is not just a mitzvah. How can you reduce prayer to a mitzvah? Prayer is, is essential. Prayer is, is the underlying, is the backbone, it's the spine. It's, it is what upholds the whole structure of Yiddishkeit. And now the Alter Rebbe is going to say that according to all opinions, practically, 
when you pray, you're fulfilling many biblical commandments. Even if you hold like Nachmanides, that the obli- there's no biblical obligation to pray every day. And the whole prayer is rabbinic. But the fact is, when you are praying, you're fulfilling many biblical obligations. Because what are we doing in prayer? You're preparing yourself for the Shema. And then you say the blessings before the Shema. And then you say the Shema. You're not just reciting words. Saying Shema is not just reciting words. When you say Shema, what is the Shema all about? You're fulfilling the mitzvah to unify Hashem. That's one of the 630 mitzvahs. Hashem Echad. You have a mitzvah to unify Hashem. And that is one of the six constant mitzvahs. Another one of the constant mitzvahs is to love Hashem. So the Shema, you're fulfilling the mitzvah, which is one of the six constant mitzvahs, which is the mitzvah to love Hashem. We don't just say the words in the Shema, love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul. You're supposed to achieve it. <laughs> you're, supposed to, you're not just saying love Hashem. At that moment, you have to experience in your heart that love for Hashem. And it has to be heartfelt. It has to be physically tangible. Just like the tefillin that you're wearing are physically tangible. And when you read the Shema, you have to have the tefillin on you. So too, the love of Hashem, when you say love Hashem with all your heart, the love has to be physically tangible. When you love someone, you physically feel that sensation. So much so that you can be, as the previous Rebbe points out, you can be in a terrible mood, you had a very bad day, you walk down the streets and suddenly you bump into your best friend. It, it's, like, it's like it lifts a, a, it's like a stone off your chest. You feel lighter. You physically feel something shifting inside. It makes your day. You have this heavy cloud over you and you're, all of a sudden you physically feel excited and uplifted and inspired. You met your friend. So the love of Hashem has to be just as physically felt. It has to be a physically felt sensation that you feel in your heart. How do you get there? Just by saying the word, love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, doesn't even get you close. And that's why the rabbis made this whole long introduction before we say the Shema. It's a whole process, procedure. You're working your way up the ladder, you're working your way up to get to that point where you can genuinely say, I love Hashem with all my heart and all my soul. So that's what I'm accomplishing in prayer. So I'm accomplishing a biblical obligation. There's a biblical obligation and it's a constant mitzvah to love Hashem with all your heart and all your soul. All your mind. There's a biblical obligation to unify Hashem, to understand the unity of Hashem. When do I fulfill this mitzvah exactly? When I'm studying Torah? No. When I'm eating breakfast? No. When I'm asleep? That's what prayer, that's what I do during prayer. That's what prayer is. So whether the prayer is biblical or rabbinic, put that all aside. The fact is that during prayer, I'm fulfilling many biblical obligations and not just biblical obligations, essential biblical obligations. Because the love of Hashem is what motivates me to do all the other mitzvahs. So this is the key. 
mitzvah. This is the mitzvah that opens the gates to all the other mitzvah. So, prayer, you have to treat prayer in all seriousness. Prayer is essential. Where do you achieve this love? When do you achieve this love? During prayer. And you have to pray every day. Yesterday's prayer won't help you today. You ate yesterday, but it doesn't help you today. (laughs) You're hungry again. Yesterday's prayer was a good prayer. You did well. But it's a new day. New challenges. My body is awake again. My ego is awake again. It doesn't help me that yesterday I felt spiritual and I felt whole and I felt connected and centered and focused. It's a new day. And I have to pray again. And tomorrow again. And that's how you have to start the day. With the Shema, with the blessings of the Shema, the Psuki de Zimra, the whole structure of prayer. And that's how you have to start the day. Focus, connect, allow this love, this innate, inherent love to emerge and to surface to a conscious level till this becomes a force in your life, power house in your life, which will lead you to all the 600 mitzvahs. And then the mitzvah that you do will be joyful. The mitzvah will, will be passionate, will be alive. Not only will you do the mitzvah, you'll do it beautifully. And you'll love every moment and you'll be inspired. That's a sustainable Jewish life. And that's what sustained our ancestors. How do you think Judaism survived for 3,800 years? You think it was a burden for our ancestors? They were were ready to go through fire and water. They went through thick and thin to remain Jewish and to transmit that Jewishness to their children. Until they passed it along to us. To them, Judaism was life. Judaism was passionate, they were committed, they were alive, they were loved Hashem. So if they needed prayer then, you think we don't need prayer? Alter Rebbe is telling us writing. This he wrote 200 years ago. Multiply that, how many times, how much more so today? As the exile becomes darker, as the zeitgeist becomes even more spiritually oppressive. How is it possible today to sustain our Yiddishkeit, to sustain our faith, to sustain our godliness, our godly connection, and our holy holiness, and purity, and goodness. How is that possible? Without prayer? Without achieving a, a genuine, heartfelt love for Hashem? without nurturing and nourishing this relationship that we have with Hashem, to make it come alive. So al Rebbe says, I'm, it's not, I'm, not, I'm not admonishing you, it's not another detail that's missing. Okay, what else is the rabbi going to rebuke me today? This, this, is, this is everything. <laughs> this is essential. This is life. Life or death. This is spiritual life or death. Alter Rebbe starts this, this letter with an unusual expression. My whole inside, my whole kishkas are turning over. I'm begging you. Let those people who have to rush, let them leave Shul. Fine. They don't have to daven with a minion. And they don't have to say the bar- They don't even have to hear the Baruch and the Gedusha. They, they'll miss out the reading of the Torah. And they'll miss out the Baruch and miss out the Gedusha. Miss out everything. That's, that's fine. Better that than the alternative. That the whole community, the whole congregation is not davening. This is the meaning of the commandment of love that appears in the verse, quote, and you shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart. That is reckoned first among the 613 mitzvot. 
Thus, the Rambam of Blessed Memory writes that this is a fundament of the Torah and its root and the source of all 248 positive commands. Concerning these commandments, the Alter Rebbe states in chapter 4 of Tanya, for he who fulfills them in truth is he who loves Hashem's name. This commandment, quote, and you shall love, end quote, is the obligation imposed by the Torah to meditate during prayer in order to arouse and reveal one's latent love. As to the emotion of love itself, a commandment is obviously impossible and irrelevant. If one has it, he has it, and if not, no command is going to produce it. Thus, in reply to the question, how is it possible to mandate love? The Magad of Adrif points out that the subject of the command is not the love, but the meditation that will assuredly lead one to experience it. When one considers, hear, O Israel, how the Lord is our, our God, the Lord is one, one will surely come to love him. The key verb, the is not to be understood as the commandment, you shall love, but as an assurance, you will love. He turned it around. Not only, first he asked the question, how could you command someone to love? And what's the answer? Not only could we command you to love, we're certain, the Ahafta, you will come to love Hashem. How do you get there? How do you jump to that? From questioning whether you could have love, and not only could you have love, is it possible? But we're certain that you will have love. And the answer is because the love is there. Right? Same question is asked about love your fellow Jew like yourself. How could you command someone to love? Either you do or you don't. But it's the same answer. The love is there. You don't have to create it. The love for your fellow Jew is there. You have to also, you can say, it's, not, it's, it's so certain that you, it's not even a question. We don't even have, it, it's a certainty that you will come to love your fellow Jew like yourself. How could you be so certain? Because the love is there. It's like family. It's there. It's unconditional. The love is there. It's a, the connection is there. It's just a question of revealing it, allowing this love to emerge and to surface. That's up to us. And if you meditate and reflect on the facts and the truth, reflects how Jews are all one and we're all connected, that will allow this love to emerge. So when you reflect on Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, you reflect on the truth of Hashem, on the unity of Hashem. We're certain, there's no question, that you will come to love Hashem, to actually love Hashem. Now, of course, as we learned in the first part of the Tanya, at great length, it depends to what level. You know, some people will develop a full-fledged love for Hashem, a fiery love that you feel, it's palpable. Some people will develop a, a, a minimal level of love for Hashem. But whatever level you're able to achieve, because they don't have the capacity to achieve a greater level of love in any area in their life. They're not these passionate lovers. Life for them is not an, uh, an Italian opera where everything is uh, intensely emotional. They're just not like that. They don't get excited about anything on any level to that extent. So they just simply don't have the capacity to develop that intense, fiery love. But everyone has the, at least they have the capacity to develop a love, a minimal level of love, enough to sustain you, to inspire you, to motivate you to commit to living a Jewish life. Acting like a Jew, and speaking like a Jew, and thinking like a Jew, and following the code of Jewish law, and doing what Hashem wants of us 24-7. And that's expected of every Jew. 
code of Jewish law was not written for the righteous, for the saints. Code of Jewish law is written for every single Jew without exception. So this is a minimum. We have to, the mitzvah to love Hashem is for every Jew. So this is a minimum level that's expected and required of each and every Jew. To develop some sort of stirring, some sort of feeling, some sort of connection that inspires you and motivates you to, to, to be Jewish and to connect with Hashem and to live a Jewish life. And where do we accomplish this? In prayer. When do we accomplish it? In prayer. Because the time of prayer is also an auspicious time. When the heavenly gates are open and our hearts are open and the soul is open. That's the time when the halacha gives us a time to daven. It's not just a technical, mechanical event. That's a window. There's a window when the universe is lined up. This is a time when the sun is shining. It's the beginning of the day. It's a time when it's conducive to experience this love of Hashem. Everything is aligned to help us achieve that. There's a window. It's open. It's a very short window. It's a window. This is the time. This is the place. And shul, when you're dabbing with a minion, this is the time. This is the place. When you're davening, this is the time and the place that's conducive to experiences, to accomplish this. So davening is goal-oriented. It's not just to fulfill an obligation. The goal of that is to experience the love of Hashem, to, to fulfill this obligation to love of Hashem by meditating, which fulfills another mitzvah, the unity of Hashem, unifying Hashem, the reality of Hashem, in its deepest, deepest sense. Hashem Echad, there's no reality outside of Hashem. All there is is Hashem. And to truly understand it and grasp it. And then to internalize it. Which will stir up a response, evoke a response within us. So this is Daven. This is our moment of encounter with Hashem. Which leads us to the Shemon when you encounter Hashem. Your private audience with Hashem. So this is the glue it keeps everything together. Otherwise, you have a puzzle and it's, it's all the pieces and it all falls apart. There's, no, there's nothing that sticks. There's not, there's no glue to put it all together. This is what connects the whole thing. This is what connects all 613 mitzvot. This is what connects Yiddishkeit. This is what connects the person. That's why he calls it the first mitzvah, primary. Not first in number, but first in importance. The Alter Rebbe is not just rebuking and admonishing. That's not the style. Even in his rebuke, he lifts us up, he explains to us. Once you understand it, you don't need someone slapping you across the face, and you don't need someone yelling at you. It's just when you realize what's going on, you want to do this. This is what you would like to do. Even the person who has to rush out, the president of the community or the macher in the community or the billionaire in the community who's supporting the whole community, he'll tell the congregation, don't wait for me, please. I want you to daven like mention and daven normally and daven the way you should daven and you're not doing me any favors. I have to rush, I'll rush. But I'm not going to make a davening that makes a joke of what davening is. 
that like defeats the whole purpose. Why bother you? What are we doing here? We're adults. Why are we wasting every morning and spending this time doing nothing? What's the point? He should. Be, he would be happier. Let there be a real davening, a davening that's heartwarming, it's inspiring, it's real. Something real is happening. And I'll miss. I'll miss. So when Hasidus gives musr, it, it's it's not only it's gentle. It doesn't beat you over the head. It it, it it lifts you up. It's elevating, and then you want to do the right thing. So if you understand what prayer is, Alter Rebbe is explaining to us what prayer, what real prayer is, what prayer is all about. Then you don't want to rush. It, it will upset you when people rush, especially if you're doing it for me. Please, don't rush. Daven. And I'll be the happiest person in the world. And if I'll miss, I'll miss. And especially the Alter Rebbe explain, you're not missing anything. Because the community's genuine davening will inspire you and will also work for you. It's as if you've davened. As if you've answered Kaddish and Kedusha and Baruchu and you didn't miss anything. So this is second to the last uh, essays, which is really a letter here. Alter Rebbe, this was so key that he ends the Tanya. The last two letters talk about davening. That he ends the Tanya with the, just to emphasize how important the children, including the Mittler Rebbe, the ear and successor of the Alter Rebbe, chose to place this at the end. Because this is really, this really sums up the essence of what, what the Tanya is. Chabad Hasidism, what Hasidism in general is all about. The whole innovation was it really put davening back at the center of a Jew's life. Not just do a quick mincha and just fill your obligation and just... It's something you eagerly look forward to. It's refreshing. You know, when you saw the Rebbe walk out from Shul after davening, it's like a different person. You saw it physically. He walked into shul walking slow. He walked out of shul like erect, rejuvenated. Like an, it was amazing. He saw a transformation. It was a different person that walked in, a different person that walked out. Davening was an experience. It was something, a life-altering experience. Like he went on a trip of a lifetime. He come back all inspired, rejuvenated, energized. That's what Daphne has to do to us. Daphne has to be a shot in the arm. Daphne has to energize you. Daphne has to excite you. Instead of just rushing through it and just another burden or obligation that you got rid of, another box to check off. But it comes from lack of understanding. Ignorance. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.